Whether it be in the New South Wales Ranges, Riverside in the Northern Territory, above treeline in New Zealand or Colorado, or in the tundra of Alaska, hunting camp is where the best stories are shared. Join me as I bring some of these stories to you, along with tips and techniques from some of the known and not so well known hunters of Australia and around the world. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode number three of Hunting Camp Down Under. Hope everyone's been flat out, making the most of the last few weeks of the cooler weather uh, as we head into to spring. Uh, things will start changing for me. Uh, heading overseas on the 12th of September, heading to New Mexico to chase elk once again. Can't wait. Uh, being busy sorting our gear, getting the last few things dialed. Picked up a new bow a couple of weeks ago and it's going great. Expedition Excursion 6. Uh, loving it. It's a big step up. Uh, haven't shot a speedboat for, for a little while now, so it's uh, it's a good change. Stepped up an arrow spine, now shooting 250s, and they're just coming out sweet. So feeling confident. The last few things dialed. As far as gear goes, it's a backpacking trip. I will be solo for most of it, uh, but I will have the truck sort of within five miles or so. There's plenty of roads and trails and that through this unit that I'll be in in New Mexico. So got a few boys heading over with me. We've got Ben McCulloch, Jerry Redmond of Bowhunt Down Under, and Brad Murphy, uh, the bow hunting coach, uh, the boys are getting super pumped. They'll be in another couple of units not far from me. Uh, so we've all been talking consistently, you know, working out who's doing what and, and gear, what we're using. So it's, it's been fun. It's a great lead up and I can't wait to share it over there with those boys. So it's going to be a really, really good trip. So today's guest is certainly no stranger to, to us Aussies um, and he's starting to make a footprint in, in America as well with his great product, uh, Nick Morton from Ozcut Broadheads, uh, certainly getting proven, especially over the last 12 to 18 months, there's been some great game taken with these heads and I think it'll only get uh, bigger and better and we'll see some, some really good trophies taken with them over the, especially over the next few months with, with plenty of guys using them overseas and, and here locally chasing Samba and and those like and the likes. So, um, so I hope you enjoy today's episode. Um, Nick talks really well. He he talks well about his product. Gives you background of his story, and uh, and obviously his true passion for bow hunting. So, hope you enjoy. Right on. Nervous. A little bit. <laughs> hey, a bit hunting greatness here. <laughs> don't be nervous, geez. I don't even know what I'm doing. Um, right on. All right, guys, today we've got, uh, I'll call him a special guest, uh, Nick Morton of Ozcast Broadheads. How you going, Nick? Oh, I'm good, mate. Uh, thanks for having us and coming to have a chat. Yeah, mate, it was a good drive down, so I thought it was better to do face-to-face than trying to do over Skype and those kind of things. It makes it heaps easier, I reckon. Yeah, for sure, and uh, put a face to a name. We've, we spoke over the phone a few times over the years, but uh, haven't shook hands, so it was Yeah, good. mate, it's been a long time, long time coming, so... Mate, um, you've obviously got plenty happening. Obviously, talking to you over the last few weeks, you've got new designs of heads and all this kind of stuff happening. Um, mate, I guess, you know, to start it off, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do for a, for a quid, and, um, you know, what's your day-to-day job? Yeah, well, basically, I live down uh, Newcastle in the Hunter Valley. Underground coal mining is my profession. Uh, do a fair bit of travelling around the place with that. I'm currently at Narrabri in western New South Wales. Um, and along with that, I've got the Ozcut Broadheads, which is starting to keep me really busy, which is good. Um, good following the guys with that. It's 
really come a long way in the last 12 months but got a few plans on bringing a few more designs out um, in the next coming months we might add a blade or two to a broadhead I'm not too sure but um, yeah definitely got some exciting things in the works and just released our sharpener which is sort of taken across taken off across the place so it's uh it's really going well it's good to see yeah good to hear mate it's it's been even interesting just watching your journey actually because i mean it's hard for you know any kind of australian company to get going especially against the estate stuff so um you know for anyone that's in america that is, is listening that there's certainly one that i think suits that market really really well i know i've left a few over there last year so um i yeah i'd like to see them take hold of them a bit more yeah, it's, de- it's definitely one thing we do want to pursue in the future. I guess uh, the biggest battle we face is the, the marketing in the big companies over there. Uh, Flash-looking broadheads that are marketed really well that uh, in actual effect don't work really well, I guess. So it's it's a bit of a challenge that we've got to face, I guess. But the guys that we've been sending heads to, we've been getting great feedback from. They've been putting them through animals. So it's a slow working process but we are getting there we are slowly breaking into that market i guess and introducing them into a style of head that they're not really used to and i guess we'll help them in the long run being a more beneficial design um and just solid all-around broadhead i guess so it's good to see how did um you went over to an expo earlier in the year that was this year yeah that was february um, how, did, how was it taken then i haven't caught up to you with about that how, how would they sort of receive that was it interesting it was uh it was a little bit funny a lot of guys had never seen a two-blade broadhead before um in australia we've it's a staple broadhead two-blade broadhead that's what we use um we'd have comments like what's this is it for small game oh look at this this is like what the indians use blah 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 um they're real skeptical on the simplicity of it i guess because it didn't have a two and a half inch cart it didn't expand um they just sort of looked at it like it was a bit of a joke i guess but when you'd actually have a conversation with them, get down to the nitty-gritty bit of the physics behind it, um, your arrow set up and everything like that, you'd see the cogs ticking over in their head and they'd sort of, oh, yeah, that, that does make sense, you know what I mean? And then you could make them rethink their whole hunting setup and how they thought about it, you know what I mean? Not, I want a 100-grain expandable broadhead that's going to go really fast and I'm going to throw it in the bin when I'm done. Um, yeah, it, it was uh, it was different. They They weren't used to seeing it, that's for sure, so... But... Hopefully, it's a concept that they will get to uh, appreciate a little bit more once they do see its effectiveness, I guess. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, that was the last thing I thought you were going to say, actually, was that they actually didn't get the concept because, I mean, it's, there is quite a few, you know, decent sort of heads over there, especially solid stuff. Um, but I guess it could be probably a little bit more of a traditional archery sort of line too. I know the stuff that I've seen, read, watched, um, seems to be a lot of the, you know, the recurve longbow guys they know all about the solid heavy stuff but yeah when it comes to the to the compound guys they seem to be a little bit uh or non-familiar to it i suppose yeah i guess and even things down to arrow setups they were calling 400 grain arrow setups heavy hunting arrows whereas over here we're shooting 500 550 grain arrows you know it's a it's a totally different ball game than we got um but i think a lot of that comes down a lot of the guys don't have the experience like some of us guys over here are putting down 50 plus animals a year you really start to get to know what works when you're you're putting a lot of critters on the ground and a lot of trial and error I guess you know what I mean you don't want them failures coming up and reoccurring so we're always looking to better our setups over here and I think that's what's led us down the path of the solid broadheads and things like that so just that strength and that fail proof option I guess. I think um, from my experiences over there you know we're we're obviously very passionate bow hunters and you know we'll we'll do a few other things throughout the season but um it seems that a lot of the guys over there and, and 
you know, good luck to them when they pick up each weapon that, you know, they can hunt three or four times a year. But if they're just doing archery or, or bow hunting, uh, especially with their tag systems and that, they don't get to, as you just said, experience a lot of hunting, you know, where we can literally just go out any day of the week if we want to. So I think we're probably a little bit more, um, got a little bit more emphasis on actually, you know, the setup that we've got rather than just that one off, you know, getting that one hour away a year sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely true. And, I'd I'd say to the guys, here's a few photos of of some animals I shot in the last few months, and I had twenty photos out on the table, and they were just gobsmacked. Oh, that that's just in the last six months, and they said, oh, I I get a chance at one or two animals a year, you know what I mean? So it's it's definitely a big contrast for them. So, and it's obviously puts them at a disadvantage, you know what I mean? If you experience one failure a year, you don't get to go again till next September and retry your setup, I guess, and try and improve on that. So. It's a hard process for them as well. Like it's definitely a disadvantage. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, you know, you've got a, a really good uh, market up in here in Australia, and and they're obviously in all pockets. They're they're hitting the big game up north, and obviously, well proven with the hogs around the ranges here. So, um, you know how the the Aussie boys there and and women they've sort of taken them on well. I know, I I know quite a few people that are shooting them at the moment. Yeah, it's it's uh, pretty humbling to look at. Actually, we've got a good team of uh, people on board all across the country, as you said anything from fallow bucks all the way through to buffalo we've sort of got something to to cater for all those markets but when i first started on this i guess i'll digress a bit i had the idea that this was the broadhead i wanted to personally shoot i've come out with 185 grain two blade um, hunted a lot of mountain boars and things like that wanted to produce a broadhead that would be perfect for that scenario i guess and that's what i done initially in the early stage we come out with 185 grain two blade didn't really uh, expect to have the following, I guess, that I did now and the success with the business, but I started it with the idea that I wanted a quality fail-safe product, I guess, if you know what I mean. I wanted, I'm a perfectionist with my gear. Everything has to be right, and that's the line of thinking I use when I design these, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And that started here in Australia originally, didn't it? That yeah, it was- started here in Australia. Um, I had a mate whose father was an engineer and basically went back and forth from a few conversations in his workshop to, hey, maybe we could make this. I'm not happy with what I'm using at the moment. I can't get this. What do you reckon we can make? Got a few samples done up, changed a few things around, and I think it was about nine months later we had the first 185-grain two-blade come in production. How, about, how long have they been out now? From that date, I think about four years now, yeah, mate. Right. Touch over four years, I'd say. I thought it was longer than that. Yeah, probably four and a half years, I'd say. Yeah. But within the last two years to 18 months, it's, I've really pushed it with uh, coming out with new models and things like that. So yeah. it's, OzCut has been around for about four and a half years, but at the scale it is now, two years, 18 months, yeah. I guess. It's yeah. been yeah. pushed hard. Yeah. This year you came out, you will come out with the, the takedown series. Um, that's, um, that's actually been a pretty good hit. I mean, I've, I've even been a few hunting camps that – I've seen those there, so um, how have they been going? Yeah, no, I'm really happy with those, actually. The the idea with those was we wanted to make a broadhead to a budget, I guess, and as we said before, in Australia, a lot of guys do a lot of hunting, and often that's to a budget, as you can appreciate. So I designed the broadhead keeping in mind that I wanted to jam-pack as much quality as I could into a broadhead and keep it to under 50 bucks per six, you know what I mean, um, which I believe represents pretty good value for the hedge you're getting you know what i mean like you could smack that through a big hog through a buffalo um anything you want in this country basically and it's still not going to break your budget which is what we wanted it to do yep yep i know um 
and this you know sort of digressing once a little bit more and, and it probably the the two blade versus you know some of the other stock stuff that you know comes out of the states but a few of the guys and i know you got an answer for this but um a few of the guys have gone away from two blade heads because of sharpening um obviously very very recently i've seen and um hopefully get my hands on one shortly is the is a new sharpener um that's going to save some headaches yeah definitely i knew uh too easy broadhead sharpener we've caught it and essentially what it is it's an angled sharpening block that we've designed it will fit Ozcuts and probably 90 percent of other major two blade heads we've basically made a sharpener that guys can use any skill level uh any experience in bow hunting and you can get a, a razor sharp broadhead within a couple of minutes and it's promoting that ethical side of bow hunting as well i guess you know what i mean Every, everyone who has the experience knows that you need a razor sharp broadhead but not everyone can achieve that with a file and a stone, as you'd know. So yeah. it's a pretty tricky process if you don't know what you're doing and very frustrating as well. Yeah, I think it's day to day. I get One day I can get a hair popping and the next day I, I couldn't sharpen it for my life. So. Yeah, th- that's it. And, and the thing with this is you, I've tried to stuff it up. I've tried to do it wrong in this sharpening jig and I physically don't know how you can bugger these up. So they're a really handy tool. Um, only very new out, as you said, but you'll see a bit more of them online and things like that. We'll have a few videos coming up here and there on how awesome. to use them. So, Are they available now? Were you, yeah, mate, got them online now. So we sold out our first shipment that came in and just had another lot arrive now. So they're going out pretty fast, actually. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. All right. They'll be down a couple less by the time I leave here. So. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, look, that's going to be a lot of answer, or a good answer for a lot of people, I think. And, um, you know, just been in different shops over the years and that. And, and I, I honestly think that's probably why they, they do go to the, you know, the so called razor sharp out of, the, out of the packet, so to speak. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Yeah. And, and another thing, like with the razor sharp out of the packet, it's only razor sharp until you put it through a target once, you know what I mean? It takes that edge away as well. So I think there's a bit of emphasis on sharpening in bow hunting that's not there at the moment that we need to put on broadheads. Like, you're going to shoot an animal with a razor sharp broadhead it's going to work so much better than a dull edge you know what i mean that blood trail is going to be there it's going to hemorrhage a lot better so yeah it's good all around for us and the animals which we've got to think about at the end of the day as well yeah definitely there's some um i'll name drop here but brad smith you know a few years ago done some pretty good i think it's feral game two i think if anybody hasn't seen it yet but he goes through this pretty well especially shot placement and um you know you can sort of i think there's a few things on youtube about blokes trying to push the two blades through the uh fighting pad yeah um blunt versus sharp and it's quite amazing i didn't think there'd be so much difference but there is yeah you see that hide it's sort of uh squeezing itself over a dull edge where that razor sharp edge it just slides straight over and it, it'll cut that inch and an eighth or whatever that cut is as yep. opposed to sliding over and only cutting 75 percent of its diameter i guess so you're spot on there with what they've done yep with the um and obviously you do a three blade range as well they've been a huge hit of late um i mean there's a um i've seen a some really good ball shot with them um so have the last few months it's been a good season already but um what's your suggestion about blokes sharpening them you know what have you talking to different guys and that is there is there a standout way that they're getting them really sharp or is it not quite there yet uh, at, at this stage we're not quite there yet no uh we're in the process of designing a sharpening system for that it's in the works uh at the moment that's a dollars and cents thing to bring that out but a lot of guys at the moment they're sitting just flat on a thousand grit stone or, or similar um, in a circular motion and basically rub the two blades around and it'll form what I'd call a reasonable edge and then giving that a bit of a hit on the, on the angle with a diamond stone or a diamond file, you know what I mean? Yep. Um, and less is more with those broadheads. You don't want to be filing and hacking away at it. You just want to put a smooth, polished edge on those blades okay. there. Yep. So yep. 
yeah, it, it is something we're working on, but they're definitely not uh, the hardest broadhead to get sharp either. Yeah, cool. Yeah. In saying that, yeah, I'm going to be running. Um, for those, I've got an Ibex hunt in January, and I'm going to be running the the 153 blades in there, um, purely because it's likely that you know shot distance could be a little bit longer. Um, and I think the consistency with flight. Um, I'll get shot for this, but you know, if your tuning's not quite on, which it hopefully it should be, but I think the consistency with the three blade over distance can be a little bit better. Yeah, definitely, especially if you're going to be looking at 60, 70, 80 yard shots on those yep. on those ibex. Yeah, I'm, I'm told it'll either be five yards or sixty, so it's one of the others. So. Yeah, I'd definitely rather five yards. <laughs> yeah, me definitely personally. I'm take that. But um, yeah, it's hard on them cliffs, but it's going to be interesting. I, uh, I, I obviously I've shot the 185 for so some time now. Um, it was a bit of a broadhead. Hall back in the day and bounced around, and um, but I've kept coming back to Oscar, so um, they've been a good head, always a good performer. I actually find the 185 is really easy to sharpen the steel, and I'm, I don't have too much to worry. Um, I'm still going to get these this sharpener because it's just quicker for me, so yeah, same time. Um, and I'm actually moving around a little bit now with um, trying the 150 now. I'm actually going to drop back just so I can go in between the three blade 150 and the two blade so I'm just going to work between the two and I haven't finalised my setup for September um, my trip there but that's a rough line I'm thinking of going otherwise it'll be just the 185 again so and the beauty of the 150s we've got a lot of guys who I guess they hunt a bit of a mixed bag of game and they'll have a two blade and a three blade 150 in the quiver uh, good tune bow they're going to have a very very similar point of impact especially under 50 yards you know what I mean so big ball pops up you can shoot him with a two blader fallow pops up Use your three blader, yep. go for gold. So it's it's something that a lot of guys are doing. It's um, good idea, actually. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, I don't know. You just seen it one day. You walk out. You seen it. Want to shoot one setup, and then the next day you can just change easily. So I think if your center shot's good, um, I think you can you can more or less just put anything in on the rest. I think so. Um, sort of changing changing uh, lines a little bit. You you shot an absolute howling ball the other week. Um, I'm very jealous of it and. I nearly cried when you sent me that photo through, but no, nah, good on you. It was an absolute howler. For anyone that hasn't shot it, uh, seen it, check out Nick's Instagram page. I think it's what is it at Nick Morton. Nick Morton. I think with three underscores at the end. Yep. Um, it's a howler. Tell us that story. Did you know him? Did you know he was there? Uh, I'd just like to say first of all that that uh, that particular ball. He was a combination of years in the mountains, I guess, um, perfecting the art of hunting mountain boars there. They're a very elusive animal for those who know. Uh, they've got a bit of a stigma that people think they're just a stupid pig, but it's definitely no. far, far from that. Um, they're a bit of a ghost of the mountains. I'd hunted this particular place a few times and run into two good boars on there um, and had known there was a lot of sign in this one particular area. So I'd hunted this particular area three or four times before and I knew there was a good boar around, but I'd never laid eyes on him. And it was on this particular trip, I would uh, got up there, walked a couple of k's in before dark, as you do, and was waiting for first light. Pretty much spotted him as the sun was coming up. He was feeding around in a bit of a bit of high tussock. And he was in a bit, bit of a prick of a position. So I just sort of stayed put on the edge of a tree line and watched him and waited for a bit more light. I had good wind, everything like that, so I wasn't too concerned. And one thing I'll say with these pigs is they're very... Uh, they're very unpredictable with where they'll move and when they'll move, they'll sort of feed one way then just totally change directions and head away and they're very frustrating all that. So I had that in the back of my mind, but I knew I was just going to wait until he hopefully fed into a bit better position. But uh, to my dismay, I looked to the left and here comes a red stag and a few hinds feeding in, um, basically would have fed to my feet, I guess. They're on a direct beeline. 
So I had those to look at. And then another mob of pigs come out um, feeding around with this boar. So it wasn't the ideal situation that I wanted. I initially thought there was the one animal, but then there was about 15. <laughs> so I just I sat on this tree and uh, took a few photos of the phone scope and things and a bit of video of him. And it was pretty apparent how hooky he was at the time. Like I could see the fangs hanging out of his head and sort of got the wobbly boot a little bit, as you do. Yep. Nerves kicked in a little bit. But um, eventually the the reds basically walked up to this mob of pigs and either party didn't really like what was going on and the, the deer were sort of stomping their feet and the, the sows were really on edge in the mob and this eventually pushed a sow about five yards past me in front of me down the hill into a gully and um, she eventually cut my wind probably 30 yards below me and didn't know whether to run back up the hill or back down the hill and uh, if she went up the hill it was all over because she would have took the mob with her but uh Lucky for me, she took off down the hill and I sort of uh, started breathing a bit easier. So sort of what this told me was the rest of the mob was going to follow her eventually and go on the same path. So I got myself into a position and ranged where he was going to come through and I thought he would have been at about 29 yards on this pad that I thought he would have come down. So eventually one by one, a couple of younger boars and um, young sows and slips come walk past me. They'd get to 30 yards below me, cut my wind and take off down the hill. Um, eventually it was just the boar feeding back up on the bench there and the red stag and a couple of hinds and by this point the the hinds were about 30 yards off me and they were onto me pretty well like um <laughs> they, they were staring through my soul basically and um I was just playing the waiting game I was like they're either going to bust me and scare this pig or he's going to hopefully feed off before they do and eventually um one of the hinds let off a bit of a bark and um the boar sort of he didn't like it too much, but it wasn't too alarming for him, and he started to feed down the hill just a, at a bit of a trot. And he'd come in from about 70 yards at the time. So here he comes trotting down the hill. He's coming directly along the pad I thought he would have, and then chucks a hard left 40 yards out, and I'm like, you're kidding me. He's gone into the bracken, and I can't see him anymore. I can just hear this little tank coming through the bracken. I'm like, oh, no, he's going to come out right at my feet. And... um so I'm at full draw, and I can hear this thing rustling through the bracken. He's getting faster and faster, and uh, there was one little opening. I was like, if he comes into this opening and I can pull him up, I can get a front-on shot, and sure enough, he come into there and just a bit of a chop of the tusks, I guess, and pulled him up. He pulled him up for a split second where I could, uh, I got an arrow into him quartering on, about nine metres it was, hit him sort of through the top of the neck, and I took out both lungs, maybe the top of the heart, um, and he sort of he didn't like that at all, and he's uh, circling around in the bracken looking for uh, what's just hurt him. And I quickly put a second arrow in and got an opportunity to put a bit of a safety arrow in him, and done that um, because of the caliber of the pig he was, I guess. And he probably went down within fifteen twenty seconds, I guess. He was lights out, so yep. um, I knew he was good. But when I walked up to him and rolled him over, I. Yeah, it was, it was pretty emotional. I, I'd worked pretty hard for a pig of that size and, yeah, it all come together. It was, it was good. How long did it take you to get composure? Uh, long enough. Like, <laughs> I'm still smiling thinking about it now. I've got a big cheesy yeah, grin on my face. <laughs> yeah, so, like, I'll, I'll struggle to beat a pig like that, out, especially out of the mountains for a long time, but I'll definitely give it a crack. Yeah, for the guys that haven't chased them, the big boars, I'm, I'm going to say nearly nocturnal. Yep, um, if not exclusively. Yep. Definitely, especially in high pressure sort of areas where you know there's, um, you know, obviously there's many different forms of chase the pigs, but you know, rifle shooting, spotlighting, uh, dogging, etc. And yeah, to to get one out 
and and actually play into your hands for once. Yeah, <laughs> I know you've had a couple, of, a rough couple of weeks prior to that. Yeah, um, I know how you feel, but um, yeah, look, it's it's one of the best hogs I've seen in a very very long time. So no, good on you, mate. You've you made the most of that opportunity. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. But uh, there's been a lot of trips where I've uh, done donuts as well. Uh, come out. I know there's a pig in the area, but you just don't lay eyes on them. But that's all part and parcel of the game. That's what keeps us going back. I've actually watched watching all the the, the American stuff. They seem that the big bears, you know, obviously bear season's just finished out there, spring bear, and they look, they seem to have very similar habits to the old ones, like the bear and the pig. So, yeah, any first and last light. Yep, if you can see, if you can you know, put that as if we're chasing uh, our pigs over here, it's probably very similar to that. Um, yeah, very similar habits there. So, very similar habits, but they're just, they're very unpredictable. They can be nomadic or they can be very territorial as yep. well. So, they're hard to pick, I guess. Like, yep. For a couple of weeks, I'll be in the one spot hanging around religiously every day, and then you won't see him again for a couple of months. Yep. Um, yeah, they do your head in, so to speak, <laughs> I guess. I know you and I obviously hunt similar country, well, the same country in some ways, um, you know, in the ranges here, and, and, you know, we've kind of got marked boars, and, you know, time between us actually seeing that one boar, we know which ones they are, but, you know, we could go six months apart, and then all of a sudden you'll just say, oh, you know, I've just seen him out in the open. They're, they've got weird habits. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes they do slip up. Um, this time of year when the sows come on heat, it's generally our best bet, but we can't even predict when that is really, you know what I mean? Like they're not marked seasons like sort of our fallow rut or anything like that. Um, so if you're lucky enough that we can catch a sow on heat and a few big boars um, acting a bit dumb, I guess, and out yep. in the middle of the day in the open, you you definitely got to capitalise on that, but... It's a hard slog otherwise, especially, as you said, in pressured country. There's a few hunters getting around, doggers, things like that. Um, they sort of cop it from all angles, I guess. So they're, they're always got their guard up, them big boys, I guess. Yep. And one thing I think as well, I, I don't know whether this is proven or anything like that, but I think they get to a certain stage and they don't actually rut. Uh, they get to a certain age and they get too smart um, yep. and won't put themselves out in the daylight at all. Yep. Um, if they do run, it'll be of night chasing a sow around, things like that. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I've come across a couple of mobs and you think you've got the dominant boar um, and a couple of times been lucky enough, one of us are taking out that what we thought the dominant boar. You walk 250 metres up the hill and he's an absolute giant just feeding there and nearly every time the wind's wrong and yep. he runs away and you think, why wasn't he down in that in that mob fighting with the rest of them. I think they do. I mean, I think they, you know, I think people, different species, I think they say that, you know, they get to a certain point where they just don't run anymore. Um, I think they're just smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Certainly a, a worthy adversary anyway. So I've spent a lot of lot of my time in the mountains chasing them and I can't see that changing into the future. You know, like I've got a lot of respect for the fallow and all things like that, but a big old mountain boar in my books, you, you can't really beat it, you know. Um they're just, just one of those things about them. I can't really name exactly what it is, but all the factors that they have working against you, you know what I mean? When you finally do get one on the ground, it's it's a good feeling. Oh, definitely. They're the best. I, I love them. As I said, you know, we, we chase the fallow and that and the, in the reds and, you know, all the different things, but it doesn't matter where around you are in Australia. You know, there's obviously different for, uh, areas. We hunt them up north and those kind of things, but I don't know. They they seem to be good everywhere you go, but the mountain boars, they're... Um, Oh yeah, it, you can certainly put the keep putting the time in because they're they're certainly a good reward at the end of it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. What's um what's the rest of the year hold, mate? I know you got a few things obviously happening with with Ozcuts, but um you personally, mate, what what trips are planned and what will possibly may happen? Uh, hopefully, I'll get out um for a few more two or three day trips whilst the winter's still here and we've got that cool weather and chase a few more balls around, obviously, but. 
around the October mark, I've got a trip up to uh, Cayuga Bow Hunting Adventures with Matty Moore. So yep. I'm going to spend a week up there hunting the boars with him. Um, and I'm going to make a bit of a trip of that, I think, um, planning with Aiden Doomstus up in Townsville and his brother James going to do a bit of a trip on the Chittle um, yep. and the Dingoes on the way up there. Then head over to uh, Darwin, might meet up with uh, Benny Carroll and Rowan Walker and a few yep. of them guys over there and catch up for a bit of a hunt while I'm over there. So, oh, Good stuff. That's going to be the most of it way up. Yeah, there, it, it'll uh, be a good month. I'm yeah, looking forward definitely. to it. Good on you. Work won't like it, but don't worry about them. Nah. Um, anything else, mate? Any, any other trips? I know... I know we've all got big plans, but uh, anything might come come through. Uh, nothing at this stage. I've, New Zealand's definitely definitely on the list, and something that I've just got to, I guess, book and do. I've yep. been speaking to a few guys. I was speaking to Mick Rodolfi, who was over there recently, and he's keen to go back, and he sort of g'd me up if I want to get over there this year. But it's definitely in the books. Whether I do it this year or next year, uh, I'm not too sure. But it's more a matter of uh, when, not if that happens. So get over there and chase a few chamois and tar around. I think it'd be good up in them Alps. Oh, it, it, I think it's going to be one of them ones. I, I think I've said this before. It, it, it'll be a bug, and it's going to be very hard to get rid of. So. Yeah, that's it. But <laughs> the good thing about it is New Zealand. It's it's a quick plane flight over. So it's close. accessible. It's cheap. Public land. Yep. Um, go for gold, I guess. Yeah, um, you can go in winter if you're tough enough. But um, <laughs> I think when I first go over, I'll go on a bit of a tame time of year. You know yep. what I mean? But um, yeah, it's a, it's a very accessible hunt. You know what I mean? Yep. It's cheaper than going up to the Cape, I guess, when you think about it. Yep. Um, you can duck over for a week or so if you want. You can go for two weeks. Um, go your hardest, I guess. Really, it's all yeah. public. Yep. Go wherever you want. Just do your research, and hopefully, you come home. Come home with the goods. Yep, mate. Where can everyone? Um where can everyone sort of keep an eye on what's, you know, obviously you've got sales, um, but, you know, uh, are shops carrying your heads and all that kind of stuff? Well, no, sorry, we're jumping back and forth here, but, um, you know, can we? where can we find the heads? Are they everywhere? Yeah, we've got, um, look, we've got a fair few retails across the country that do stock them. Uh, we've got things like Abbey Archery, Benson, Tenzone, uh, Sioux Archery up in Queensland. We've just got a couple of shops down in Wagga on board. But the majority of our sales do come from our online portals, I yep. guess. Um, so basically, you can get your hands on them anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world, realistically, yep. um, especially the guys from the States and that. We don't have any retailers over there present, um, something I'm working on, obviously. Yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, just basically through the website, which is osgartbroadheads.com, yep. pretty straightforward. And uh, both our social media pages, we're pretty active on and um, speak to a lot of guys on there. We've got a lot of people messaging messaging us with questions and happy to give out advice on basically anything bow hunting and talk bow hunting to guys on there so it's it's good to interact with the customers out there as well and see photos and feedback from them as well and their successful hunts which is good to see yeah it's always good i guess at the end of the day that's what you know why you're putting a good product out there is to see that success come back yeah that's it like i had a photo sent through the other day i think it was the first grizzly that ozcut's been put through so that was pretty cool to see like on a personal level for me it it was pretty humbling actually like yeah, I, I sort of took a step back and went, "That's pretty cool," you know. Like um, four and a half years ago, when I first done this, I, I wouldn't have expected <laughs> that. You know what I mean? Um, they've been put through like African plains game, dangerous game over there, North American big game animals. Um, yeah, it's really cool to see. You know what I mean? They're sort of all over the place, sprinkled everywhere. Yeah, no, good on you, mate. I mean, it takes. You know, I can speak for for myself. You know, just even with this podcast, you know, trying to. You know, to put your head to something and think, yep, yeah, well, I can do this. You know, the nerves and all that to to kick something off. You know, it um it takes a bit to get going. It, it it was a big decision when I initially I just started as a hobby, so to speak. I guess you know yep. what I mean. I I wanted to make a broadhead for myself to use. You know what I mean. That was the the way of thinking behind it. Never in my wildest dreams would I have expected it to be where it is now. 
Um, and there was times along the way. I think there was two times along the way where I come really close to throwing it in, you know what I mean? Um, everything was sort of inundating me, you know what I mean? I was like, I'm getting nowhere with this. What am I doing? Um, but I'm glad I've stuck it out and the end result, we've we've got a good product and a good team out there. So it's yeah, it's awesome. I, I, I love being a part of this community and, and giving back to it in a way, I guess, as well. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, and, and obviously that's, that's why I sort of do this. I just love talking about it. You know, I love... You know, people like yourself sharing their story, and you know that's that's I don't want anything else out of the, out of this podcast. It's it's I love just hearing the, the background to it all, and you know why people do this, and you know what what drives them to hunt and all that kind of stuff. I just I could you know I could talk about it all day. It's uh, it's very easy for me. Yeah, and at, at the end of the day, we're all passionate bow hunters, and it's good to connect and share each other's stories. You know what I mean? Like what we're doing now. I've I know so many guys just through social media and things like that that I've spoken to that I'd love to be able to sit down around a campfire and actually have a proper conversation with you know like yep. there's so many guys in this sport that we all know just by their name and association but we've never actually sat down and had a conversation with them so it's good to connect us guys together i guess you know what i mean oh, that's awesome mate well mate thank you for joining hunting camp down under podcast um it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you mate and um we will definitely do it again and um mate when the uh the new line of heads come out we'll uh, we'll talk about them again yeah no it was great mate thanks for having me on board and we'll have to share a bit of a hunt as soon as possible, I guess. It's been something we've had in the works for a while. We just uh, can't line up work. We still work, family and everything else. So, no, nah, we'll make it happen, mate, for sure. No, it was good. Thanks for having us, Craig. Good on you, mate. Cheers. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Hunting Camp Down Under. Send me a direct message with any general questions or further information on any of the topics that were discussed during the podcast. Or if you have a great story to tell and would like to share it, be sure to hit me up. I'd love to have you on the podcast. You can also email me at huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com. That's it from me this week. May the hunting gods be with you on your next adventure. Bye for now.